episode 90 of This Developing Story. What's up, y'all? This is B Dougie back again with some more content for you. I've uh, been doing these Twitter spaces pretty consistently at this point. Every single week, y'all find me at B Dougie on Twitter. Uh, and speaking of Twitter, I've got film girl Christina Warren herself. And Christina actually made a switch from journalism, tech journalism, into developer relations. And I find that actually an interesting transition because. <laughs> Writing is a really good skill set to have when doing DevRel. So we get into that. We get into Christina's background and what she's working on now. So I hope you all enjoy this. And uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter if you're interested in chatting with me. All right, let's jump into it. I, I, I try to kind of trim the balance because on the one hand, I know that people will want to follow me for DevRel contact stuff, and I get that. Um, my username is is uh, deceiving because when I joined Twitter in, in 2007, I didn't know it was going to become my online identity. I was just a college student. And so, you know, it is what it is. Um, but um, I don't know. I think over the years, I, I put more of my own personality out there. But I certainly know there are people who are like, I wish you would just tweet about this one thing. And I'm like, look, sometimes I wish I would, too. But um, you've got to show the, the, the full self sometimes, I feel like, to be authentic. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, I want to get the story, but I had that on TikTok where I was making just random TikToks, and then I hit like some of commenting on phone <laughs> company interviews, like whiteboarding interviews. Yeah, um, and someone responded said, "Hey, I'd love to you for do this type of tic- uh, this type of content." I'm like, I feel like you do like this is better content over here on TikTok. And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Like this was like <laughs> tongue in cheek, like the start of a funny joke, and now it's right. become my persona. No, that's so funny. Yeah, I did this thing when uh, when we used to be able to travel a lot, where I would do hotel tour Instagram um, live, where I would like do Christina's hotel tour hotel room tours, and the number of people who I like I was at a conference once, and people came up to me. I was at XOXO, which is like a arts and tech and kind of media kind of mashup thing, and pe- there are people who I you know didn't even know they followed me on Instagram, and they were like, "Oh, I love." your hotel tours. And I, and, and to, to this day, I have people, you know, it's, it's because it's been a couple of years since I've been able to do them regularly. They're like, Oh man, I miss those so much. And it's so funny, you know, like you with your, with your whiteboarding and stuff, it, people, people said the same thing, like, Oh, you should do a YouTube channel or you should do this or that. I'm like, I'm just shit posting yeah. <laughs> on Instagram. Literally. I'm just, you know, um, walking through my hotel room. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's funny how you sort of fall into things like that. But what I want to talk about is how you fell into the DevRel side of tech. Cause I know you've been, yeah. you've been in the space for a while. Uh, and the way we've had these conversations, uh, I actually I record these. I throw this up on a podcast, which is called this developing story. This developing story.com is the, the website. And uh, so everybody's here. Shout out to Chad uh, who's hanging out with us and uh, a couple other familiar faces. Tech rallies out actually here too, as well. Um, but we usually start with like, I only have actually three questions. And the first question is who are you and how did you get here? Well, actually that's the first two questions. Um, so you can answer that any way you want, because I know you have a, you have a very detailed history, which I, I find very unique, but we can, we can sort of cover different bullet points to, as it comes up. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Christina Warren and I am um, a, a senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. Um, I, my focus is on the, the Linux ecosystem, kind of like the, the dev uh, ecosystem and trying to make it easier for uh, Linux devs to, to build stuff on Azure. And I've been at Microsoft for four and a half years. And um, I uh, will talk about this a little bit more, but um, 
how I got here, how I got to DevRel, or how I got on this podcast? Because how I got on this podcast was just you DM'd me. So that's that's yeah. just the easy answer. How, how you got the DevRel is probably the more more interesting you, start part. The more story. interesting thing. Okay. All right. So um, and it is kind of interesting. So I've been doing this. I've been in DevRel formally for for four and a half years. I've been at Microsoft for four and a half years. Uh, before that, though, I spent about a decade as um, a technology and business journalist. And so I wrote a lot about technology. And I, um, uh, I, I guess going way, way further, I've always been interested in tech. And I've been building websites and, and, and things like that, basically, since I was you know, 12, 13 years old. But I didn't study that formally. That wasn't my career. Um, uh, I wound up kind of falling in, into journalism, which is a whole other rabbit hole, but I did that for a decade. And one of the first things that I was writing about when I was kind of first getting started, I, I was writing about um, uh, a lot of consumer tech stuff, but I would also write about kind of more developer centric tech stuff. And so, um, but, but a lot of who I was writing to was, was very much kind of a, a broad mainstream audience. Um, but I, because I'm just a, a tech nerd in general, and it's just something that I've grown up with and, and loved, I always uh, really still in my like like what was happening in the developer communities, and when there would be changes to different, you know, like like what's happening this past year with you know, all the App Store drama and and the Google Play drama um, around, you know, the, whether or not you can have third party in app purchases with the Epic trial, and you know, like App Store review things and and different new you know uh, APIs coming out to allow. For different features or this or that, those would be things that I would write about. And I would obviously talk to developers to want to get their take on uh, what was happening. If there was a cool new framework coming out, like I wrote some posts about Node.js, I think in, in 2009 or 2010. And, uh, you know, um, kind of seeing like what the big movements were happening, you know, in, in the space and the big trends and, and talking to people about why this or that was cool, trying to explain why uh, certain things were happening. Um, and so, uh, and, and also just writing, you know, mainstream, you know, security stories or uh, you know, reviewing gadgets. So a lot of it was consumer focused, but I always, with, with my writing, uh, a lot of what I did did have kind of a developer focus. Like I was able to convince, I worked at a website called Mashable for uh, for seven years. Um, I was uh, one of their first employees and um, like them send me to WWDC one year as a developer. So I didn't go strictly as media who would attend the keynote and and maybe the the, the state of the um, app um, address uh, that's in the afternoon. Um, but I um, attended the entire week and like went to the developer sessions and um, it kind of you know wrote about my experiences with that. And so when I got the opportunity to join Microsoft uh, and and I uh, was originally pegged to do something that's a little bit different than what I do now, but I very quickly made my way onto the DevRel team. Um, my video experience and my experience with podcasting and storytelling, I knew that would come in handy, but I also felt like it was interesting. I had kind of this past experience of, you know, talking to developers, keeping tabs on things that developers were doing. And, and I really felt like it would be a fun opportunity to continue to engage with that kind of work and to, you know, even become more technical myself and learn new skills myself and try to help other people both learn cool new things, but also advocate for what they uh, need, you know, to, to go to our product teams and say, hey, this isn't working right, or is there a solution for this? Or have you thought about doing it this way? Or I might even have a solution to this to try to make the whole process of, devel of development easier and better. Yeah, that that's awesome. And I'm curious, like, in the 
the places that you you worked at, um, so like Mashable and like, like Bizmodo's oh. your bio as well. Um, was it normal to have like a developer like on the technical writing staff or the the sort of journalism side? No, no, that was totally just the fact that I liked it and wanted to write about it and we kind of pushed those things. Um, I wish that it was more common. And in some places there are, you know, some places that will do more enterprise tech stuff and some places that have more of that focus, I think there is. With Mashable, I was so early. When I joined, there were nine people in the company. We all worked remotely. Um, uh, the company, uh, uh, within a couple of years, kind of more formalized in, in New York City. And we also had a San Francisco bureau and then opened international offices. But when I first started, you know, it was uh, Pete Cashmore, the founder. I don't even know if he was in the United States yet I, um, on uh, permanently. I think that he was only coming in occasionally. Um, and we were, uh, like, I joined right as they, I guess, kind of, finished kind of they, they were in the process of shifting from being a mostly kind of freelancer system to actually hiring salaried people and we were covering um the the name that was initially about when he started the blog in, in 2005 or 2006 was about uh mashups of, of different things on the webs between you know apis and sdks and because you'd see a lot of stuff in the web 2.0 era where you'd have people take okay i'm going to take the Flickr api and the youtube api and, and throw something together. And, and you had a lot of kind of, uh, you know, in that uh, kind of like the headiest of the, the frothiest Web 2.0 days, a lot of people building brand new social experiences and, and using Ajax, which was brand new then, and, and um, really taking advantage of, of the fact that the web could now be a, a true application platform to do some really interesting things. And so Mashable, when it started, covered a lot of those servers, a lot of you know, kind of the consumer features, but also covered how people could leverage those things themselves if they wanted to build their own services. You had a lot of the early stuff that we did. We had a lot of people who read us, you know, who were startup founders, a lot of marketers and, and people who were early into SEO and, and people who were early influencers, uh, which would be the term we would use now, um, as well as people who just wanted to kind of keep up on like, what is the next big trend happening? Like, what is the thing I should be following? And so, um, when I joined, you know, I was interested in all those same things too. And so it became more natural, I guess, for me to have that more of, of a technical side to be able to bring that to the conversation. Now, I don't think that's necessarily necessarily, I don't think you need to have always have that. But for me, because it was a personal passion and because I was early enough at the company, I was able to kind of form it into being one of my beats and one of my one of the things that I would cover. And what I found was it was actually really useful for me as a journalist, um, even though I'm like not the world's greatest uh, programmer or dev at all. Um, I, I can definitely do enough to be dangerous and to break things, but, but I'm not the world's best, but I'm also not the worst. But it was helpful to me that I could talk to uh, you know product teams, I could talk to engineers, and I could have a real conversation with them above just like the surface kind of um, bullet points that sometimes I feel like people have to talk to press people about. Like even if I didn't write all those details in my stories, if I could get a better understanding about how something worked, um, then it would give it would give me more context for how to how to shape the story. And um, so that was that was really cool. But no, I mean, I think that it, it varies based on the person. Uh, but uh, a lot of it, I think, was just me being passionate about certain things and being like, oh, I think this is cool and we should write about this. And then, you know, the the, the, the hubris of, of youth of just being, you know, they mean like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome too as well. And like the the timing, and this is like it, it sounds like this is my my next statement would be tongue in cheek because the the current environment. But the around that time when you were saying Mashable and the Mashable put the different SDKs APIs, 
that makes a lot of sense. I didn't actually even realize that was like early Mashables. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was a reader of all that, all that content and context uh, and doing like Twitter bots. And yep. And back then the Netflix API was like the one thing I was like really getting into. And then they shut it down once they got banned. Yep. Um, but what I'm getting at is like the, the access to the quote unquote web two. And I, I say that quote unquote, cause like, I feel like it can be an incendiary term for some reason saying what <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't quite, I'm not looking to uh, start this into a whole web three, web two discretion, but that's the one thing I, 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 when I'm looking for in the web three space is I want people to actually talk about it as if, as if I'm a developer and like, right. just forget about the price of Bitcoin or whatever it is. Totally. Like, tell me how to build something. No, I, I, I actually totally agree with you. I and mean, that's what was exciting. And look, obviously, um, I, I can't remember who it was. Actually, I think that it was um, uh, the, the Netscape CEO, um, uh, last name started with an L, I can't think of his name right now, who said that there are like two businesses, bundling and unbundling, which is completely true, by the way. But what was, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of kind of these ideas of decentralization. And, and I, I like you, I don't want to get into a whole debate on, on Web3. But I think what was powerful about Web2, and, and obviously it did kind of go into this centralized place where you have these very, very big players. But when it started, I think the thing that brought a lot of us into it was this idea that you had access to these APIs and you had access to be able to build on top of things. And and the reason that it was Web2 is because it was both push and pull. It wasn't just pulling the content down. It was being able to, to, to you know push your own back out too. And um, like you, I you know, putting any of the other stuff of, of crypto aside, like I would like to see more from a developer perspective of how can we build top of these things and how can we interweave these things together more than just, okay, I, I can build a, a coin, right? Or or I can I can sell, you know, uh, an NFT. Like to me, that's not, that's not that interesting. I'd be more interested in being like, okay, how could this be used as the basis for something else? Like, could you build the next Discord or something on, on a blockchain system. And if you could, w- could you make an argument that that would be better than just using a database? Now, my personal opinion, probably not, but I'm not tied to that, right? To be able to see that sort of experimentation. Because I think that's what was fun about that era. I um, I graduated from college in 2007 and, and started writing um, 2007, 2008. And um, that was kind of like that heyday of that you know, kind of movement. And, and there was just so much experimentation happening, which was really, really fun because so many of the big companies and, and uh, big ideas that we see, many of them did start out with people just, you know, attaching things together and seeing, okay, let's, let's put an RSS, let, let's, you know, scrape the RSS from this and, and, and feed it into that. And, and what could this become? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you mentioned RSS, which is another triggering word for me. Cause like I was yes. Heavy Google Reader uh, user. That's how oh, I sort of consumed yeah. all the content that you and your yep. your other folks, uh, journalists, also created. Um, which is wild because now that's Twitter. Now that's become what I use Twitter for is actually this sort of a, a river of constant information to stay up to date with things. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Same. I, I still miss Google Reader to this day, and it's funny because I actually remember when Google Reader died. We had so many stories about that, like. I understood, I mean, honestly, Google Reader died, uh, from what I understand, from people that I talked to, basically because they wanted to try to push everything to Google+. Um, there weren't, like, a ton, a ton of, of, of users, but there were more users than with many of the products that they have that they shut down. But that was a massive story 
I just saw the people who were very upset that for years afterwards, we would have like residual traffic that would come in to, you know, because I did like an exhaustive testing of all the different, you know, competitors and could you use these things and what options could you self-host and this and that because it was a really big deal for a lot of people. And yeah, I think that for most people, even though I still pay for an RSS service, I think most people, I'm like you, I, Twitter is primarily kind of my, my fire hose of that stuff. I have lists and I have other things and I have a few other aggregator sites that I follow, but but Twitter has kind of largely become my my place for that. Yeah, um, I think it might be something for everybody else who's sitting right now listening to a conversation on Twitter. Um, very like I guess now, um, which is Twitter Spaces. Uh, but I wanted to actually move into like your transition from uh, journalism after a decade into mm-hmm. DevRel. Like what what was the sort of what sparked the reason to Try. And then I'm also curious of what did you bring any skill skill set from there over to Microsoft in your DevRel role? Yeah, totally. Um, no, so I mean, honestly, the biggest thing was I, I, I'll be completely candid. Somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn, and they, they were looking for somebody to do some video content uh, for, for, for developers at Microsoft or for something that we used to have a, a video uh, channel for many years. It was called Channel Nine. Now it's um, um, uh, Microsoft Learn um, Studios, but. Uh, Somebody reached out to me for a role about that. And I hadn't considered doing something like that. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought this could be a really interesting challenge. And and then to be even more candid, the state of the media business, so this was like a spring of 2017, uh, was not great. You know, I'd seen a lot of companies uh, go bankrupt. Um, uh, there were a ton of layoffs. Um, and this was even before, uh, you know, like the, the 2020 stuff that happened where there were even more media layoffs. And the, the whole landscape just wasn't great. And um, I was just kind of like, okay, I've been doing this for, for 10 years. I you know, I feel like if I got laid off tomorrow, I could probably be able to find another job. But like my, my husband, who was actually at a media company, he was like laid off in, in um, the fall. And he was doing some contract work, you know, I'd had other friends who'd been laid off, it was just it was not a good time didn't feel super stable. And so when the opportunity to maybe do something where I could combine kind of my tech, my love of tech and storytelling, from a, a more stable seeming, you know, industry came up, I was like, okay, I think this would be a really good thing to try out. And I was really scared, you know, to go through the interview loop and, and to, to go through that process. But once I did, um, and, and I kind of got there, I realized, okay, I, I can do this. And then I had to do a lot of learning, obviously, um, which, uh, and I I'm still do every day. But this, I mean, what was interesting is I thought that my, my technical background would be the biggest benefit for me coming over. I felt like that would help me the most. Like that's what I thought I was going to have to use as a crutch. I felt like, okay, this will be the thing that will, will make me be able to kind of fit in and, and, you know, get things done. But it wasn't, um, a, my technical skills have increased so significantly since I joined, which is amazing. But the biggest thing that actually helped me in my career, what I didn't realize was my communication skills, especially with DevRel, uh, being a writer, being a communicator, having on camera experience, uh, because when I was a do TV a lot, and so like, uh, you know, when the log for J stuff was happening, when I was still, if, if I were still working in media, it would have been, I probably would have, you know, gone on TV, like the cable news networks and whatnot, a lot, maybe even some of the morning shows to explain what the situation was and why the world either was or was not. Art. 
um, the producers usually wanted to hear about why the sky was falling. And usually I'd be like, nah, this, it's fine. In some cases, though, you know, like uh, the, the um, you know, heart bleed, like um, uh, log for Jay, frankly, I've been like, yeah, no, this is really bad. This is really, really bad. Um, but they, they would they would want somebody who could be approachable and explain things to an audience. So I had on camera experience which was really useful. But the communication skills, I would say, were the biggest thing, just the ability to be able to uh, talk to people and be able to explain things um, in um, an informative way and in a concise way. I had no idea how important that would be. But that's, if I if I could say anything, I think that's probably been the thing that helped me the most when I transitioned. And that was probably the, uh, didn't realize would be anywhere nearly as useful as it was. Yeah, it's it's something that I've personally have worked on like, as a skill set. Like, obviously, I do this these Twitter spaces, but also I've done the sort of the on stage speaking. But also recently, mm-hmm. started like the whole year. And I know it's something that you've been doing. Uh, I believe you've been doing it since your your journalism um, mm-hmm. career prior. Uh, which yeah. I'm curious to get your take on because, like, obviously the the world of DevRel has changed a little bit with the pandemic and no travel. Uh, I assumed you did travel a bit for Microsoft, but now we've all yep. been mostly all home. at home. Yeah. So like, what's that been looking like for you in uh, 2020 and like, what are things that have uh, been successful? I mean, God, I miss the travel. I'm not going to lie. I miss, but I, I miss mostly seeing people in person. Um, it was, it was great to go to other places, but I just miss seeing people in person. But yeah, no, I mean, that's a huge thing. We all had to become YouTubers, right? Like that was the thing. We all had to become yeah. Twitch stars. We all had to become YouTubers. And even someone like me who had experience, you know, filming videos prior uh, to, to the, the pandemic, having to do everything at home, that was kind of a big, a big thing, you know, having to get my camera set up and whatnot. And um, I think the things that work are probably the things we'll hear from a lot of people consistency, you know, like you're doing this every week and, and you're, um, you know, uh, keeping a consistent uh, thing up. And I, I think that that's probably one of the things that was reaffirmed to me because we got kind of out of uh, consistency with one of the shows that I was doing for a while. Now we've started it up again under a new name. It's been more consistent, but I was working on some other projects over time. Like it'll start slow, but being consistent with, with having games or, or, you know, publishing content, whether it's video or otherwise, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways I took, but also, you know, trying to think about, okay, creating video content, you have to think at least the way I think about it, like you need to be very platform, um, uh, I guess, uh, con- you, you need to be aware of what platform you're on, right? Like uh, content that I would create for TikTok, and I'm not, but if I were creating content for TikTok, is going to be very different than content that I would create for YouTube, which is going to be something I would create for Twitter, which, uh, you know, might be different than, you know, if I were going to post even a video on Instagram, like all those, all those platforms have some different personalities. And I think understanding that, understanding that what you do on a pre-recorded kind of edited YouTube video is not the same as what you do in a live stream and that the two can't necessarily, you know, in some cases you might be able to, to repurpose those, those live streams as, as a pure video and it'll be great. But in other cases, it might be a little bit different and just being aware of those nuances. Um, and, uh, I think being aware of what the advantages are inherent to this platform so you can take advantage of them and, and, you know, uh, optimize, I guess that's the, the better word optimize yeah. uh, for those platforms. That's, that's been a really interesting kind of learning uh, journey. I think for me um, uh, and for other people I've talked to too, I'd be interested in your take on that, but that's the thing that I'm always like trying to kind of learn from is okay. What's, what's the, what's the thing that works best for, for this particular platform and, and how can I optimize 
what I'm doing or who I'm working with so that we can get the most out of it. Yeah. I mean, my, my answer to that is this uh, experimentation and also limiting that uh-huh. experimentation, like yeah. time boxing it. So like I, I talked to a, a very successful uh, DevRel team on TikTok, which I don't want to expose them because we had a very uh, private conversation about this, but they time box their t- t- TikTok experiments to only 12 weeks. Oh, uh, wow. So at the end of 12 weeks, they would then take stock of what happened. Was it successful? And like they walked away with 80,000 followers or subscribers on TikTok. So to them, that was successful. But because they actually like were focused on the goal at hand. Um, and then on that same same note, like the, my TikTok experience has always been experiments uh, to sort of see what's happening. My yeah. goal was get, get a thousand followers on TikTok, which I, I did uh, quite a few months ago. And then I sort of just stopped doing TikTok because I haven't had like a real goal. And my mm-hmm. goal was not to become some sort of TikTok influencer. But like what I like is the experimentation. So like my, yeah. my YouTube journey was I just need to get better at doing conference talks uh, remotely because I was never good in front of camera in my office. I, I, I come alive on stage and I never came alive in my own office in front of a, a dinky C920 or whatever. <laughs> so the YouTube channel became my way to increase my at-bats at doing talking in front of a camera and a microphone alone. And um, so once I did that, I was successful at that, that I haven't been consistent with uploading. But now at this point, I'm looking at scale um, mm-hmm. for either for GitHub and for my personal stuff. Like, how can I scale this? It's feeling like it takes so much time to edit this stuff. Right. Right. I mean, that is a challenge. Scaling is a challenge. And I think this is something that if you talk to creators uh, who focus on other areas, like that's something they run into as well, you know, like, like uh, it becomes a grind. Um, but I love that. I love, I love that you were, you, you had a purpose. You wanted to be better at giving pre-records. So you used it for that purpose. And I love the, for TikTok, the experimentation. I also love hearing about that, that team that like they had a 12 week goal. I think that's actually great. And I think that experimentation is awesome and it's really important, but I think that's actually a really good point. I think that, uh, and, and I know this even, you know, Mashable, one of the things we were really good at, and I've actually taken a lot of lessons from this is Mashable back in the day, you know, I can't speak for how it is now. The company's been sold and it's a very different place. But we were early, early adopters. Like one of the reasons the site got as big as it was is because when the suggested user list came out, I think in you know 2008 or 2009, um, Mashable was on it. And so um, we had, you know, more than a million Twitter followers, I think, when I joined the Cousin 9, which was back then a really big deal. And, um, we had, um, we were, you know, fairly early on Facebook and we were early on Pinterest and we were really early on Vine back when that was a thing. And we, we, we RIP, exactly. We had, we had, we had a team of people who would put Pinterest, like we really would experiment. We were on Google plus, uh, there was, uh, a RIP to, um, both, uh, what, what were the two live streamers? There's, there's Periscope and what was the other one? Um, uh, Meerkat. And Meerkat, yeah. We would yeah. do both. Like there, I would do live streams where I had two phones, like one running each app, you know, in kind of on a selfie stick, you know, me going around the office and I would be doing live streams. And then we we had Facebook Live partnerships. Like we were on all those platforms. And, and our goal, especially in the early days, was we wanted to be kind of the experts at how to use those platforms. And that was a great experience coming in now with DevRel because I got to kind of experience like what it was like, what things would work, what wouldn't to experiment with things, but also not to be afraid of just like jumping in. And if it works great, if it doesn't, that's okay too. You're going to get lessons from it. Right. But I do feel like experience is really, but I really like what you were mentioning that team did of having kind of a set period of time. Okay. We're going to do it 12 weeks and then take our learnings from that. I think that that ha- having limits on that um, 
is is probably a good thing too. Yeah, the one thing I, that came to me too as well during 2020 when we were doing these experiments um, is, well, we're still doing the experiments, but it when someone approached me about TikTok uh, and whether or not GitHub should be on, like internally we had a conversation mm-hmm. whether GitHub should be on TikTok. Um, I was like, no, <laughs> like I'm, right. there's nothing there for us. There's just a bunch of you know, riffraff and dancing and I have fun mm-hmm. there, but like I don't want to bring work to where I have fun. Right. And then after I actually dug into that, because actually I felt like, I felt like I made I gave the wrong answer in that meeting, so I did all the research. And when I came back, I was like, "Oh, you know what? I was one hundred percent wrong on this. Uh, this is actually worth trying." And uh, right. here, are, here, are like the the three accounts I would follow today uh, to be inspired or to steal from. Yes, no, I, I think that's so true because uh, we had some similar conversations, you know, at, at Microsoft, and some of the some of the accounts have done things. And my whole always like, do I think we should be on it? Probably. We need to do it the right way. We need to have the right tone. We need to not be cringe if possible. Do I personally want to be on it? I don't know if I have the bandwidth, right? I think that's a, a, a thing you need yeah. to know too, is like how much bandwidth do you personally have to be on all these things? And for me, it, you know, it's like, I really like to consume it, but do I have, uh, would I rather put the bandwidth into, into some other things? And so for me, I was doing more streaming rather than TikTok, but I, I agree with you, right? Like it is one of those things where, yeah, yeah, your first impulse might be, no, I don't want, I don't want need to be on this platform. It's not going to do anything for me. But then if you dive into it, you know, I mean, the, the most famous example people use all the time is, is, you know, the the chick who's the Microsoft Excel influencer who's making over a million dollars oh, a yeah. year, yep. which is awesome. She's selling her consulting business. She's selling her classes. She is badass. I she is incredible. Um, and, and there are other people who, you know, have have even left their jobs in big tech to become YouTubers. Now, obviously, not everyone can do that. Um, and I'm not saying everyone should do that. But I feel like that shows that there can be an audience for that type of content that is not just what you would associate with a platform. You just need to, you know, find your way into it. And, and that's where experimenting can work. And you can also figure out, uh, you know, is the best in, in doing, or am I maybe better skilled at doing something else? Because we would do that at Mashable as well. We would, we would get on the different networks as soon as they would start. And, and it was the ones that we could feel like we could make an impact on that we would, you know, kind of stick with. Um, but, uh, you know, one of our, our, at least back in the day, you know, one of our creators, we were always going to be some of the first people on that stuff. Um, but uh, the second part of that was, okay, not just beyond it, you need to figure out how can I use this authentically? And um, the thing I, I take from that to DevRel, because I, I think you'll agree with me when I say this, is that authenticity is so important in what we do. Because developers, I always say this, developers, we can smell bullshit a mile away and nobody wants yeah. to be bullshitted too. So uh, I hope that it's okay if I if I cursed on your <laughs> podcast. I hope you don't have to edit that too much. Uh, totally um, uh, but, you know, and we, we want to have these authentic conversations with people. We want to have these authentic experiences because, uh, and, and that's the thing I think you can, if you over-optimize too much for some of those platforms, you can lose some of that and it can maybe not be as good, but... I think when you when you can find that balance of, of how someone how you can authentically reach people and authentically you know be on those platforms it can work really really well and you can you can reach people and you can create different content types that you know has a, there's an audience for but you might not have even anticipated you know yeah and I've I've got like a list of like ideas of how to leverage some of this the I guess new media or these new these new platforms. Um, but time and bandwidth is always the issue. It's like, I, if I invest in shipping this thing, I've got to have like six of these videos done 
right so that way they can just strip through and then we can basically look and see if it works out or if not like sit on it until like i can convince someone else to do it right no i mean i think that's where sometimes the experimentation can be useful just to you know um and it gets hard because people are going to want what how does this you know accrue to my kpi or this or that and it's like okay well sometimes you just have to have a gut instinct for things um you know uh you talked about scale earlier and that is the difficult thing you know time is the one thing we can't really scale and um content whether you're creating you know documentation or how-to videos or a tutorial you know whatever the case may be or, or you're writing an article that's the one thing that that we can't you, you can't turn it into a factory yeah um, as much as people try and i think when people try to over automate that process i think that's when uh people uh hit roadblocks um, yeah it, it starts to show when uh, mm -hmm. it feels a little like less authentic and more of like they're checking a box to totally. get something shipped yep Totally. Yeah, and, and, and sorry, yeah, go ahead. no, I, I, I was just agreeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just going to add um, on the same topic. I was curious about because I know um, I know you consume TikTok uh, from our mm -hmm. conversation. There's like a very there's I, I don't want to out any specific teams or any sort of brands that are out there, but like there's a difference between creating trends and following. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious even with your background in the journalism side because I know like so like I, we're we're basically the same age. I'll just go. You mentioned your your um when you graduate i graduated mm -hmm. the year after um, okay so like i i consumed all these sort of these these media properties that you had mentioned and there's one thing that came up uh with fool's day um yeah which is every company uh, needed to have an april fool's day joke embedded yep. in their their content and then mm -hmm. also journalism as well would just do like a sort of like roundup of all these um uh, to basically all these yep. brands that use april fool's day so I feel like TikTok is there's there's a bit of that happening on TikTok uh, and with totally. some other properties. Oh, totally. Yeah, people have the trends. You know, you'll see somebody who you know so certain songs you know catch on. Everybody wants to do you know the the song. You know, do do, do the dances. Do do the there there are certain motifs we use. You're dead on. God, April Fool's Day got to the point. I think by the time I I, I left media that the sites that I worked for, we were like, okay, we're not going to cover any of your April Fool's stuff unless it's actually really funny. Even then, we might not. Because it had just gotten like so over the top and ridiculous. Like uh, we Mashable partnered with, with Conan O'Brien one year, and and he pretended that he bought Mashable and did a whole thing. Um, I still think that my original idea, because we we were we pitched a couple of different things with agencies, and my original idea is because we wanted to do a thing with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and this was this was before I should add this was several years before they actually did this for real. But I wanted the April Fool's joke to be that uh, we we were uh, bringing back Shaq Fu. The the, the 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 greatest yeah. slash worst video game of all time um and uh the marketing people just didn't understand it and didn't understand that the internet literally would have lost its would have gone crazy it would have been massive um so so we did the thing with conan o'brien and said which was funny but you know these are just it becomes branded and comes co-opted and like you said people just kind of following trends and so i do see that with with tiktok where people will kind of you know you you do you have the people who create the stuff and you have the people who pick it up and there's nothing wrong with following stuff but uh, it, there used to be this, I think it still exists, but there was this uh, famous Twitter account, uh, Brands Saying Bay, um, that would make fun of, you know, the, the way that, that brands speak on Twitter kind of became a, a yeah. certain thing. And you can see that happening with TikTok a little bit. And I, and I feel like, okay, you know, um, and, and I say this with, with nothing but love and respect for my, for my brand friends. Um, I've, cause I know I have a lot of friends who work on that side, but like, this is when sometimes I roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, this is when the brands do kind of ruin everything because 
you can go too far, right? Like there's a way of being funny and sardonic and on it and like self-aware and like kind of winking and being really clever. And then there's a way of just like going, leaning way too in on that because you had a little bit of success and then it just becomes cringe. Yeah. And the, the cringe too, as well, it comes with the, cause I, I feel like the, I, I operate in some spaces within Twitter, which they call black Twitter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, these like culture speak come from, uh, and it gets adopted by Gen Z and et cetera, et cetera. And like, we can, we can sort of dissect this like to the nth degree or whatnot. But like I had a, a friend who's actually just got funded for a startup and in his marketing content, it said, um, like bunch of bullet points. And one of it was like, do it for the culture. Um, and I asked him to remove that and he ended up doing it. Um, but I feel like sometimes we can feel a little too ambitious with like steering into what's the hot speak or the bay speak, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's when we sort of have to take a step back and be like, Hey, what, what is that actual goal here? <laughs> like, is exactly. it to accomplish something or are we just like just throwing stuff out there? Right. No, totally. And, and, and if your goal is like, do I, do I want engagement? Do I want this or that? Okay. Well, maybe you can get some of that by acting that way, but what are you trying to, what are you trying to promote and, and what audience are you going after too? Because I think that's the thing too. Um, I'm glad that, that your friend, you know, took your advice and, and, and removed something like that because, and, and we could have a whole discussion about how much stuff has been co-opted from, from black Twitter, um, just in internet culture in general. Um, but I, I think it's important to, um, yeah, like you said, to kind of know what your goals are and, and to also know who you're talking to and, and to know like, like, because sometimes the audience of people that might respond to your funny tweet or, or your video thing, they might not be your customers and, and they, they might not be your audience. And so um, you have, you have to think a lot about that, right? Like is, is, is getting the um, engagement worth it if it doesn't lead anywhere, right? Like, yeah. Uh, you need, it, I feel like you can also you can be respectful of the of the kind of content you're doing, and you can be talking authentically, you know, with those audiences without um, it maybe sometimes seeping into into caricature, uh, which can be easy, and, and and that line can be hard to cross. I don't know for me too. Like uh, when we were, this was when we were doing build of, of, of 2020. We were looking at trying to do some TikTok stuff around it, and and um, I don't know if we wound up doing this or not. But like my initial advice was we shouldn't be the ones who are doing this. Let's just hire some of the actual cool, like code or, you know, developer TikTokers maybe to, to do some content. And I think that's something people oftentimes, you know, mistake too. It's, it's like, um, I always think about this when, when um, we're creating content um, and, and we can help for our users. It's like, are we the ones who need to be speaking? Are we the ones who, who need to have the voice out there or are there other people uh, in our community who we might be able to promote or um, uh, lift up and, and maybe sometimes, especially for these different platforms, you know, maybe I'm not the right person on that platform um, speaking to that generation, if it is a generational thing, right? Like maybe it should be someone um, from that, um, you know, a group who, who knows it more um, because that's going to be more authentic and, and they're going to have a much better connection with that audience than, you know, me, uh hello fellow kids on on tiktok yeah and i could be you could even sit like generational or even like uh programming language uh morse whatnot oh i was like, gonna say communities are so different yeah. right like like what, what one community even with an open source you know what like what what one community how they work and how another community does are very very different things and i think that's really you know important like i see, I see tyranny is chat and like he uh, they are the person that i would go to 100 percent for anything 
around you know JavaScript and uh, but I wouldn't pretend to want to speak to that community. I mean, it's the same thing about like giving a talk to to an audience, right? Like if, if I'm not part of like if you are having me give a general talk and it's an audience that I'm not really familiar with, I'm happy to do that. But I'm not going to speak about something that is like native to them and it's like an important thing to them if I don't have experience with it. Because as I said before, the developers can spell BS a mile away and, and you need to know the rules within those communities and the rules within, you know, the, not, not even so much the rules, but I guess the, um, you know, just, just like the, the way things work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the general best practices. I, I got a tweet at me yesterday cause I maintained uh, the get ignore project on GitHub. And uh, so my name's all over the place and someone had a Python specific example question that I had no context at all because I, my Python is a simply copy and paste from Stack Overflow. Like I'm mm-hmm. just added, yep. added myself. That's, that's where I get all my, my good <laughs> Python code. So I couldn't make a definitive statement on Twitter about the thing that they were working on, which was, uh, I think, some sort of machine learning thing, which is, again, another thing I'm not even familiar with. Uh, so I pointed them directly to the forum and was like, start here, ask your question there. So I was able to be helpful, but I was not going to put myself in a place that I was going to make statements that were going to be copy and pasted on hundreds of GitHub issues saying that BW right. says this is the way it should be. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You're like, look, I, I can help. I mean, that's the thing I always say. People come to me about like, if I don't know, I'm like, I I, prob- I might not know. I will try to find out um, and I will try to like uplift the person who does have the right answer. Right. Yeah. I think that's in this. The one thing that, as you were talking, actually, when you were answering the previous question, uh, the one thing I always stand by is, as a developer advocate, is like my number one job is to create other advocates. So if mm-hmm. I can get someone else on stage talking on my behalf or on behalf of GitHub or whatever it is, like I want that person to be up there and um, absolutely, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I feel like a lot of times, and that is, I think you know, a lot of us are developer advocates because we do like to speak in public and we like to be around people and we like to create and, and we like to share and we like to help. Um, but a lot of that sometimes too, you know, listening is just as important part of that. Um, and uh, also like knowing, Hey, if, if I meet somebody who's really good at something, like I would love to, to platform them and, and, and have that person speak. Like you said, I love that. I love that you are always looking to create more advocates. That's awesome. All right, y'all. So if you enjoyed that conversation, if you learned anything, I would really appreciate it if you went over to twitter.com slash film underscore girl. Uh, it'll also be in the show notes. But yeah, the shout out to Christina for coming on to this podcast. This little operation I have. Uh, this has been something I've been doing for, man, eight years now. Off of, And it's always an honor just to, to meet other folks in the space, figure out their backgrounds. Because I think at the end of the day, when you learn about folks' stories... Uh, it sets a pathway for, for other folks to, to learn. And that's exactly what I did. So uh, again, if y'all are just got a new job or if you want to talk about what you do in tech, uh, developer relations as engineers, uh, hit me up, twitter.com slash bwo. And then of course, if you want to participate in the Twitter spaces, we'll be hosting them um, every Wednesday at lunchtime Pacific. And um, yeah, always looking for guests. All right, y'all stay saucy. Thank you.